You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We are week two of a sermon series. Essentially, every couple years, we do a sermon series on baptism. This is our baptism class. We, we do it all together because those of you who have been baptized, I want you to remember your baptism. That is an ancient phrase said to uh, Christians to help them remember the commitments they made and the ways that Jesus worked in their life. And so part of the reason we do this is a refresher for those of us who've been baptized. But those who are interested in baptism, this is a wonderful time to learn about what it is, what we believe is happening in and through this thing that we call a sacrament, this holy action that we do as a, as a form of commitment to Jesus. And so if you're interested at all, feel free to let us know somehow how you want to be involved. You can text this number on your blue card. There's a packet on the back on our website. There's all kinds of ways to say, hey, I want to be baptized. And I just also want to add this out. Since it's a day of commitment, there's a couple other things we're willing to do that day, which is coming up in two Sundays. If you want to dedicate your child to the Lord, we'll do dedications that day too of saying, and this is where parents come and say, we want to raise our children in the way of Jesus and we need your help because kids are hard. (laughs) So uh, that dedication, or maybe there's another thing we can do that day is a reaffirmation of baptism. I got baptized a million years ago and Jesus has done some really wonderful things and I want to stand before the congregation and just talk about how good Jesus is, and get reaffirmed in what I did. We'll do that too. So if you're interested in any of that, dedicating children, getting baptized, reaffirming your baptism, let us know. We would love to celebrate that with you coming up in two Sundays. But before we get into what baptism is, we've been talking about the why of baptism, because sometimes we don't know about why we do this thing. This is St. Patrick. One of my favorite stories about baptism comes out of St. Patrick's life. So if you don't know, bishops in the church carry around a thing called a crozier. You know it as a shepherd's crook. It's a great symbol of leading people, right, of of, uh, the sheep of God. And so sometimes you got to hook them to help them to pull them out of a hole. So that's why bishops carry around the shepherd's staff because they're shepherds. But on the bottom of a shepherd's staff, if you don't know, is sometimes a little pointy. Because not only are you trying to help people come back, but sometimes you've got to defend the flock. Sometimes you've got to move branches out of the way. Sometimes you need help when you're walking up rocky paths or up mountains because there's sheep that got lost because sheep don't make the best decisions all the time. And so there's two sides to a shepherd's staff, the hooky side and the stabby side. And that's important for the story. This is St. Patrick because he shows up to this place called Cashel and there's a king there named Angus. And Angus says, I want to get baptized. I've heard about Jesus. I've heard about you, St. Patrick. I know a little bit about what's going on, but I'm ready to go all the way in. I want to get baptized. Please baptize me. St. Patrick says, great. He's out there. They enter the water. And then St. Patrick takes his shepherd's staff 
and he goes to use the pointy end to stick it into the ground because he needs to use his hands to do some baptism. And he takes his shepherd's staff and he stabs it into the ground, famously through the foot of King Angus, if you can't tell. King Angus didn't say a word. Just stood there and let himself be baptized with a pole sticking out of his foot. Finally, Patrick gets done with his prayer and opens his eyes and he sees the creek river filled with blood and he is mortified about this king who he was trying to convert this whole tribe, right? And this is such a momentous occasion and he stabbed his foot and he goes, why didn't, why didn't you tell me I stabbed your foot? And he said, I thought that was part of the process. I thought, <laughs> I just thought that's what we did during baptism. I don't know. And I bring that up because sometimes we don't know. We just don't know. We don't know what we're doing here. We're in the water. There's something going on. Some people have told us something. Some people have told us another thing. So we get into the why. Last week we spent a little bit longer. But for me, the why. Why do we do this? Based on God's word, here's my two whys. Number one, Jesus was baptized. And we're following Jesus. We do what he did. And so we get baptized because Jesus got baptized. Here's the passage if you want it. Uh, Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist. Says it's necessary. Says he has to. And during that baptism, the heavens part and a, the Holy Spirit lands on him like a dove and God the Father speaks out and says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. This is not something that Jesus just does as a formality. This is an important occasion to start his public ministry. And if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. That's one of the reasons we get baptized. Number two, Jesus commands it. That's our other why that we can base out of Scripture. Jesus does it. Jesus commands it. If you don't know, in Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is discipleship. This is how we learn the ways of Jesus, the two things that he wants out of us, learners of the way of Jesus, is to be baptized and to learn to obey. This is it. This is what Jesus asks of us. You want to be a disciple. These are the two requirements back there. And so if I were to sum it up, this great mystery of baptism, for me, the why is this. It cements what Jesus has already done in your life. You have not even considered baptism until Jesus started working in your life and heart. And so, so oftentimes we say baptism is an outward sign of an inward transformation. And that's the cement part. That Jesus has already done stuff in your life and we want to cement that. But it's also, it's not just about the past. That baptism is a catalyst. It's a thing that God works through for your future. Something that Jesus is going to do in your life. He wants to use baptism as a way and means to work in and through your life. That's the why of baptism. Now let's get into the what of baptism. What is baptism? I told you that throughout, throughout uh, the 1900s, there was an organization called the World Council of Churches. And all kinds of traditions and denominations got together sometimes to talk about their differences, sometimes to talk about their similarities. And one of the th things they did around baptism that I love is they said, what do we all agree about when it comes to baptism? This is such an important part of our faith. Let's talk about the things that we all agree. And so all these Christian organizations came together from Catholicism to Orthodoxy to Baptists to Methodists to Lutherans to Presbyterians. They all come together and they said, this is what we all agree 
that baptism means, and I think that's really amazing. They produced a really wonderful document called the BEM, if you're ever interested, and they said baptism is four things. It is participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We talked about that last week. They said that baptism is a cleansing and conversion. It's an act of cleansing, washing, and conversion. That's what we're talking about today. Next week, sealing the Holy Spirit in us and and welcoming us into the body of Christ, the family of Jesus. That's another thing baptism does. And lastly, it's a taste and a foretaste of what Jesus is doing in the future. So all Christians got together and they said, this is what we all believe. We're participating in Jesus' death and resurrection. We're getting washed and converted. We're being welcomed into Jesus' body. And and all of that is a taste of the world to come in Jesus. So today, cleansing and converting. If you got a Bible in front of you, would you bust it out? No pressure. It's going to be on the screen. But if you'd like to hold a book, if you want to be old school with us, we're in Acts 22, which is on page 8, 5, one, again on the screen, but also in God's word, the scripture here, a little bit long, or longer of a story, but I think we could pull some points out for what baptism means. Acts is, comes right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right after the stories of Jesus. It really is a depiction Luke is writing this. It's a depiction of the early church and what's happening in the early church. And and about halfway through-ish, it switches to focus on the life and ministry of Paul as he is going into the world and telling people about Jesus. But Paul gets into all kinds of hot water everywhere he goes because God's word does that, right? And so uh, he's, he's telling his testimony because there's people that think he's some kind of bad, evil person, Paul. And so he's just kind of telling his testimony to this to this uh, tribunal who wants to see if he's a bad person. And it's starting in verse 1. Paul says, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him address them in Aramaic, they became even more quiet. Paul continued, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but raised in this city. Under Gamaliel's instruction, I was trained in the strict interpretation of our ancestral law. I am passionately loyal to God just like you who are gathered here today. I even harassed those who followed this way, capital W, the way of Jesus is what it was originally called. I harassed Christians to their death, arresting and delivering both men and women into prison. The high priest and the whole Jerusalem council could testify about me. I received letters from them addressed to our associates in Damascus, and then I went there to bring those who were arrested to Jerusalem so they could be punished. During that journey, about noon, as I approached Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven encircled me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice asking me, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? I answered, who are you, Lord? The voice answered, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are harassing. He replied, my traveling companions saw the light, but they didn't hear the voice of the one who spoke to me. I asked, what should I do, Lord? Jesus said, get up, go into Damascus. There you'll be told everything that you've been appointed to do. I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, so my companions led me by the hand into Damascus. There was a certain man there named Ananias. According to the standards of the law, he was a pious man who enjoyed the respect of all the Jews living there. He came and stood beside me. Brother Saul, receive your sight. He said instantly, I regained my sight and I could see him. And he said, the God of our ancestors has... Oh, I love to hear the sound of pages flipping... 
The God of our ancestors has selected you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear his voice. You will be his witness to everyone concerning what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins as you call on his name. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. As always at the table, church, we try to take these scriptures and pull some points from them for us to know, feel, and do. That's what I'm always asking as I read God's word. What does God want us to know? What does God want us to experience inside of us? How does the information become transformation? And then how does that transformation become action so that we have a holistic faith that moves from our head to our heart to our hands out into the world? And so my first question always is, what does God want us to know? What's the information here? And for me, reading Paul's story as he's defending himself against a group of people that want to do him harm, he tells, he tells us this, that your past doesn't define you. Your Redeemer does. Your past doesn't define you. This is what part of baptism is, is you're taking on a new identity where you are shedding your past, the old self, and you are taking on a new identity that defines you, not your past, Jesus Right? He said, I harassed those who followed Jesus to their death. That's the old me. I got people killed for following Jesus. That's my past. And Ananias says, get up. What are you waiting for? Go get baptized and wash away your sins. One of the things that baptism is about is we're proclaiming that we are not who we once were. And our past doesn't get to define us. And if this murderer of God's people and persecutor of Jesus himself gets to be baptized and forgiven, I think you get a pass too. I think you're okay. I don't know if there's much worse than literally killing Christians out of religious fervor, but he gets to be forgiven. And he doesn't get to be defined by himself. He gets to be defined by his new relationship to Jesus. And that's true for you, and that's what baptism is is about. I got a news story that I thought was interesting. I thought it illustrated the point about a man who broke into a church and did a bunch of bad stuff while he was high on meth and drunk, and there was a little bit of redemption from it. Would you take a look? Update to a story you first heard on Fox 16. 23-year-old Breeden Wynn first made headlines after breaking into a Conway church and causing thousands of dollars in damage. At the time, he was homeless and he suffered from a severe drug addiction. Our Michael Esparza visited Wynn to hear how he's getting a second chance from the people he once victimized. Things just went from bad to worse that night. 23-year-old Britton Wynn recalls the cold February night when he broke into Central Baptist Church. I don't think that I picked this church. I believe God picked me because I, I was not strong enough to pick myself up out of my addiction. High and enraged, surveillance footage shows Britton smashing glass and even using a fire extinguisher to cause damage. There was quite a bit of physical damage. But fast forward eight months, and there's a different man walking around that very same church. Today I can look back and I'm thankful that I was in those situations because uh, I am completely restored. I baptize you now, my brother. The, the church baptized him in front of the entire congregation, showing that it's never too late to be forgiven. It's, it's never too late to change. I thought that I had, I had gone too far for God to even love me. Uh, local news stories, they always cut clips, right? <laughs> the pastor's like, there was a lot of damn. I read more about the story. 
And the pastor said there was $100,000 in damage. But he also said, you can't preach God's forgiveness for 50 years and then not demonstrate it, especially when you've got hundreds of people looking at you. So he showed up to the man's court appearance, and he talked to the judge, and he said, how about we try to get him rehab instead of prison or jail time? And the judge agreed, and this is his story, is that he went to rehab, and in rehab, he was in a Bible study, and in Bible study, he accepted Jesus, and in accepting Jesus, he started coming to this church, and they baptized him and forgave him. And just what a wonderful picture about how our past doesn't define us when we're in Christ. And baptism is a shedding, is literally a burying of that old identity in the shallowy, watery grave of the river or the pool or the font and coming up a new person in Christ. If Paul can be forgiven, if this guy can be forgiven, I think the stuff we, could do, we did can be forgiven too, and we don't have to let those past identities define us anymore. Baptism is the beginning of a new identity. Past and past sins and your sinfulness do not define you anymore. What does God want us to experience? Feel in our heart. That's the second point. God wants us to experience this. Not only does your past not define you, but he wants you to actually have a crystal clear conscience. Now, I did... I read a lot of verses on this, and a theme kept showing up over and over that, you know, it's hard to preach on, but biblical. And so, I don't know if this is going to land, but it's in the Bible, it's in God's Word, and we're going to let God's Word shape today's sermon. And so, over and over again, uh, God's Word connects baptism to a crystal clear conscience. Crystal clear. Here's a couple verses that help us out. First of all, right away, Paul. We just read chapter 22 where he says, I was baptized. My sins were washed away as I called on the name of the Lord. Then he tells another group of people who are trying to convict him. He says, brothers, I've lived my whole life with a clear conscience. How does a murderer say that? Altogether a clear conscience my whole life. Look, I've lived my life with a clear conscience to this very day. That's a testimony to how powerful Jesus is. And the act of baptism is, not only are you not defined by your past, but man, it is just taken away from you in a way that Paul could say, I got to clean, my whole life I've got to clean. It's wild to me that he says that. Hebrews 10 says something similar. Our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies are washed with pure water. Over and over again, baptism is connected to a clean conscience. One more. Baptism is like that. It saves you now. Not because it removes dirt from your body, but because it is the mark of a good conscience towards God. Over and over again. I got one more later. But over and over again, uh, God's word connects baptism to a clean conscience. What does God want you to experience after this baptismal moment? Clean, crystal clear conscience. What is a conscience? We often think about it in our Western world as those two little things that sit on our shoulder, right? The angel and the demon trying to get you to do bad stuff or good stuff. And one of them's always like, let's do fun stuff. And the other one's like, let's do the responsible thing, right? That's how we frame it in our world. We see pictures like this. Or a little more old school, right? Like this is what we think conscience 
is, or if you're even more old school, one more video clip for us about what a conscious is and how important it is. So we get this concept from our culture about what a consciousness is, that it, it helps us decide right or wrong, that it's this true part of us somehow, that it is always there that helps us decide right or wrong, and that is not at all what the Bible teaches about conscience. <laughs> I'm going to call that Jiminy Cricket theology, and I'm going to tell you, it's not biblical. He's a heretic. Run him out of the church. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. But seriously, that is not how the Bible talks about conscience. It's not this really deep part of you that is unaffected by the world and it can always lead you the right way. The Bible says that our consciences can be warped or they can even be deadened, that they can be perverted, that we can mess the whole thing up and we can think we're going the right way and we're actually going the wrong way. And so the, when the Bible talks about conscience, it's talking about something else. I tried to sum it up for us just to be helpful uh, based on my study of what conscious is when God's word is talking about this. First of all, it's an awareness of God. A good conscience is an awareness of God, that God exists and that God has expectations for it. Second, it's that knowing God does not hold your past and bad stuff against you when you are in Jesus. That's a good conscience, right? That's connected to point one. And lastly, that you get to live free and boldly like it never happened. When the Bible's talking about good conscience, it's talking about this that your conscience has been redeemed and restored and healed and been made whole, and you have a good awareness of God and that God does not define you by your past, and you now get to walk free and boldly into your future with full awareness of what God is doing in your life. And you can say, like Paul, so boldly, I've had a clear conscience my whole life. My whole life because he's been so thoroughly washed and redeemed by Jesus. So not about this, it's, it's not about necessarily trying to do the right or wrong thing. It's not about an angel or a demon trying to tempt you or guide you. It's about your awareness of God and God's work in your life and what God's been doing in your life. So if you know God and you become aware of God, then you know that God's not holding your past against you. That's how thoroughly baptism and following Jesus does not, you know, helps us to not be defined by our past. That not being defined our past by our past is so deep that you now get to walk with a clean and clear conscience in the world. God means it. 
God means, I mean, the Bible talks about how God forgets your sins, throws them as far as the east is to the west and buries them in the deepest part of the ocean. You get to walk with a clear conscience because not only does God not define you by your past, but God removes your past from affecting your future in a myriad of ways because you have followed Jesus and been washed in the water. You begin to walk free in your new identity, guilt-free, shame-free, Throw that old reputation in the trash. That is your clean and clear conscience, and that's what God wants you to experience after baptism. Not only does your past not define you, but you get to walk total awareness of God and your new identity, boldly and freely walking into your future. What does God want us to do then? Again, just reading the scripture. Don't want to come up with something clever. Sometimes there's a temptation to be, be clever, but God's word over and over again connects baptism to drawing close. Your baptism, baptismal conversion is an invitation to draw close to Christ. That's what God's word tells us over and over again. We see it a little bit in Paul's story when he says, I used to be this way. The God of our ancestors, though, now has selected you, Paul, to know his will, to see Jesus, to actually see Jesus, to hear his voice. What are you waiting for? Go get baptized. Call on his name. Paul has an invitation to come close to God in Jesus, to see, hear, and know. But we see it in other places, too, in that Hebrews passage. Therefore, Hebrews says, let's draw near with a genuine heart, with certainty that our faith gives us, since our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed in pure water. See how it's all connected? Therefore, since you get to draw near to God now, you get to be close to God now because of what Jesus has done in your life in and through those waters. Your declaration to follow Jesus is an invitation to be close to Jesus. Since you have been baptized Therefore, draw near. One more from the book of James. A little bit harder to see, but it's there. Come near to God, and God will come near to you. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts, you double-minded sinners. Okay, he gets a couple digs in there. But see the connection to washing and drawing near. One of the things that God wants us to do in and through baptism and after baptism is to come close, to draw near. Baptism is one of the ways in which we celebrate what Jesus has done in your life. And one of the things he's doing in your life is an invitation to come close. He whispers because he's close. And he's inviting you in and through the waters to come close. My concern about that, me telling you that, is that some people are going to hear, I got to get clean before I can get close to Jesus. I got to get washed before God will accept me or love me. And that's not what's being said at all. This isn't, you can't experience God's love. This isn't, God is, God is mad at you. This isn't, God has a big stick and he wants to swack you with it. And you better just get in that water as fast as you can before... And, and, I, and I'm not allowed to be in God's presence until I'm clean. That's not what's being presented here in Scripture. It's more like this idea, and I hope this is helpful, but I started going through and looking at all these really wealthy 
powerful people, and they all kind of said the same thing when it came to success. I hope this makes sense. They said, here's what you need to do if you want to be successful. Oprah says, you got to surround yourself with great people. Ronald Reagan says, you got to surround yourself with great people. Derek Jeter says, you got to surround yourself with great people. Do I have 30 more? Yeah, but I'm going to stop it after this one. John Maxwell says, the better you are at surrounding yourself with people of high potential, the greater your chance of success. And I think something similar is happening here with baptism. This isn't get clean before God can get close to you. This is the closer you get to Jesus, the cleaner you get, the more whole you get, the more healed you get. This is, what's, this is what we're proclaiming, that baptism is an invitation to closeness with Jesus not because we got to get clean to get close to Jesus, but because Jesus is drawing close to us in the waters. Jesus is drawing close to us in our life through the Holy Spirit. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more healed and whole we get, right? This is not a get clean and washed, and then you can get close to God. It's the closer you get to God, the more healed you become. And baptism is an important step in our declaration of following Jesus and wanting to be close to him. And we see this over and over in, G- in Jesus' ministry, and I'm wrapping up. If you have any questions, feel free to send them. Right, we see it's not that people had to get clean to get close. It's that the closer they got, the more washed and healed and whole they became. This is a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, unclean by every standard in her society, and she sneaks up on Jesus and touches him whole healed. He turns around to her, calls her daughter, welcomes her back to the community. She didn't have to get clean to get close. She got close and then got clean. Lepers, people, skin diseases, so bad that their community said, you got to go live way over there. No one touch them ever. And if you do, then we're not allowed to touch you. And Jesus walked right up to them touched them. This isn't get clean before you get close. It's the closer you get, the more whole and healed you get. We even have stories of people that were dead. And in this society, you did not touch dead things. Dead things contaminated everything. And Jesus walks right in and touches them and heals them and restores them back to life. This isn't get clean before you get close. This is the closer you get to Jesus, the more whole and healed you become. Drawing close to Christ deepens our baptismal cleansing and it cements our conversion to Jesus. The thing that God wants us to convey to us and invite us to is that there's no more barriers between you and God. You are as close to Christ as you choose to be because of what Jesus has done in and through your life as symbolized through our baptismal covenant. Draw close. That's what God wants us to do. Draw close. With that, I'm looking to see if there's any questions. I don't think there are. Let me summarize then. Baptism is an act and celebration of cleansing and conversion. That we, our identities are redefined. Not based on our past, but based on a relationship to Jesus That is so thoroughly a redefinition of our identity that we now get to walk around with clean and clear consciences. No more guilt, no more shame, no more old reputation. We are new creations in Christ. And we are set free from the shame of our past selves and past lives and past actions. 
And ultimately, Jesus does all that to encourage and invite us to come close, removing all barriers so that we can enter into the holy of holies, Hebrews 10 tells us, into the most intimate and connected parts to God, more than ever before. And with that, would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for the work that you've done in our lives leading up to this point. Help us, please, with every day to take a little bit more of a step into this reality. This is what we're reminding ourselves of because we go out into the world and it is hard to remember, but we come here to be reminded that you've removed all barriers. Help us to draw close. Help us to draw close because of what you've done, because of the covenants we've made with you in that water. Help us to draw near to you. And may this bread and this cup be a moment of that, of drawing close to you, of coming near. You've promised to meet us here, and so we come with expectant hearts to be close to you. Would we feel that today? Lord, anybody who is wanting to experience baptism or to feel that closeness or feels trapped by their old guilt and shame, would you help them to be comforted by the good news that you have for them? And would you encourage them to make the decisions to draw close to you so that they could be touched in a way that makes them healed and whole? And for all of us, would you help us, help us to know that we are clean, crystal clear consciousness. Help us to walk bold in that as new creations of you. And we give you thanks and praise. Table Church, will you help me finish this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done.